Hello, and welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you get to hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. So today, I'm joined by Mary Rupert's Rescue, and Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Allison. It's really a pleasure to be here. Awesome. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, um, I am a fashion designer, researcher, and educator. I am an associate professor at um, Washington University in St. Louis, and I'm the area coordinator for the fashion design program. In terms of my um, teaching, I, uh, we have a Bachelor of Fine Arts program and a Bachelor of Arts program, and we teach our students the design process and design thinking, and we strive to form leaders for the fashion industry, particularly in terms of sustainability and uh, engaging technology for the well-being of all of us. Then in, 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 my, in my research, um, I have two kind of main areas of practical research, while at the same time I reflect about creativity and I've done some, written some articles about the importance of creativity, the different types of creativity in the fashion design and product development area. And also recently I've been um, thinking a lot about aesthetics and taste and how that can influence sustainability. Interesting. That sounds super fun. Um, so what kind of started your research and interest into sustainability and how that affects fashion and even like consumer behavior? Well, you know, it's quite interesting in some ways um, that you asked me what started it because I, um, I have a maybe a different perspective on sustainability as a concept because I grew up um, as uh, the child of uh, depression era parents. So in our household, waste not, want not was the primary uh, paradigm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, my dad would take the jelly jars and put some milk in it, shake it up and drink it like a milkshake. So we didn't waste any of that remaining goody that was inside of the jar. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom always sewed clothes and made quilts. And so, you know, it was, but, but their perspective was from um, not having, they grew up in very um, difficult times. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now when we have this, uh, oh, wait, stop, let me, let me go back. And then when I learned about fashion, being sustainable was really not something people talked about. And when I worked in the industry, I, I worked in France and I worked in Germany and I worked in Morocco and um, that was just not a part of the conversation. It wasn't until the 2000s when um, uh, people kind of started thinking and talking a lot more about uh, waste and uh, the you know, global warming and the climate and things like that. And I really draw, went back to my roots of this training of not wasting. And I decided to put my focus of research into ways of um, uh, approaching this apparel industry by either not creating waste or actually drawing the waste out of the landfill and making it being reusable again. 
That's very interesting because, yeah, I think as a society, we've become more wasteful and it's, it's going to be a problem. And to kind of look back to like your parents, it was, it was an economical thing like that, you know, they didn't have it. Whereas now many of us don't, you know, have that that we're fighting against where we literally don't have it, but more we want to be able to have it still in the future and maintain the planet and, you know, standard of life for people. And so now it's kind of that conversation from, from different angles of both for the economy and for more, I guess at the moment, more kind of future driven values instead of, of the moment need. Absolutely. That's so relevant. I think in many ways for today's, you know, pandemic even situation that we're, we really kind of need to think more about less immediate uh, gratification and more kind of long-term repercussions of, of what we do. So mm-hmm. I went ahead, um, I, I came to Wash U um, starting on four years ago. This fall will be my fourth fall. Oh, and nice. before that, yeah, I'm so, I can't believe how time has flown. <laughs> Um, I came from Oklahoma State University um, where I had started my research uh, program in sustainable textile uh, and design and producing of clothing. And it was a quite interesting process. I put a call out to the undergraduates and said, hey, does anybody want to meet on Friday and talk about sustainability, you know, and and, of of, uh, textiles and clothing? And I had, oh, I think that first meeting where there were about 17 students that showed up. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really cool. And we started meeting every other week. And the enthusiasm and the time, you know, uh, kind of dwindled down to a core of four students. Uh, Well, actually, the core was three students and myself. And we continued meeting and we experimented with all sorts of different ways to take, you know, what what is the most available thing for college students? Mm T-shirts. So we took T-shirts. And we knitted with the, the yarn, the yarn we made from t-shirts and we wove with it. And we, you know, kind of did some things that everyone seems to be doing out there. And then uh, we had some um, interesting tools at our um, disposal at this, uh, at this school, there was a long arm quilting machine that wasn't being used. And I said to the students, what if we tried to, you know, engage this technology to meet our goals in a new way rather than trying to do things that people have already been doing. So then we thought, well, maybe we could create yardage and that yardage would have still created waste, right? Because if you create yardage, then you have to cut it up to make clothes or make things from it. So that led to experimenting with a process of uh, cutting up the strips or cutting fabric into squares or different shapes and um, using a biodegradable material that um, holds the uh, scraps together, if you will, and then stitching on top of those scraps inside of the pattern shape. So you don't um, have any material that's outside of the shape of the pattern. And then um, after you stitch on top of it, you can put it into water and it dissolves and you have your uh, pattern shape, the garment shape you know, like the, the mm-hmm. part of the garment. And it turned out to be really interesting because you can, at the same time as you're kind of creating the fabric, you can design the textile. Mm-hmm. So it's a different way of thinking about designing clothes. Yeah, that's very interesting. 
So is that something, so you have actually a patent, I believe, on, is it that process? Yes, I, I um, kind of, it's hard for me to believe that I, that exactly, I can say that. <laughs> yeah, because it's not, it's not very common in the fashion industry to have a patent, but, so congratulations on that. Thank you. It's called Textile Repurposing and Sustainable Garment Design. That's the name of the patent. Nice. I'll have to put a link to that in the show notes if people want to look into that further. So what kind of was the process from that initial experimentation with the students to um, kind of fleshing it all out into this, this patented process? Well, um, yeah, that it was, it was, it took about, I guess, maybe five years. Um, we were, uh, there was a call out for from the technology development center at the university and we applied for a grant and then we got that grant and we applied for another larger grant and so in total there we were able to get funding of about thirty thousand dollars and that allowed me to buy a um, computer software for this so this sewing process um, mm -hmm. that automated it so we worked to kind of prove make a proof of concept. Uh, mm -hmm. We were able to, I was able to hire the students as work studies, so they were able to get paid, but they worked for two years with no pay at all. They were just wonderful. <laughs> and uh, because they just believed in the project, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, so then we, we, we made a collection of prototypes using this system that were, uh, we repeated one of the designs so you could show that you could design something and then do it, say, in a different color way or a different size. Um, we completed, uh, we had a textiles lab, so we completed textile testing in terms of tensile strength, um, uh, crocking, um, uh, what is that called, abrasion, uh, and I think uh, water, water solubility, water uh, absorption, water absorption. Mm -hmm other tests. So we ran those tests and they, the, the fabrics performed really well. Um, uh, so uh, the university decided to take it forward and, and their lawyer took care of all of the writing up of the patent agreement. We had some conversations on that and actually at the time when, and on our part, we had to kind of like write a paper, which is what, uh, what is if you go to Google patents and look at this patent, that's like what we wrote our mm -hmm. justification for, so you have to do research. You have to know what is out there. You have to kind of explain everything to the patent organization or the patent office, I guess it's the U S patent office, what it is about what you're doing that is distinct from anything else that's out there. And, um, then we, you know, we just kind of waited and actually the patent lawyer had said that usually what happens is the, after they review it the first time you, um, uh, have to they come back with all these questions and then you have to justify and you know keep trying to get them to be convinced but um, ours came through on the first round so we didn't have to do any of that stuff <laughs> that's exciting yeah. yeah must have been very new like very you know wasn't there wasn't any overlap with something that currently existed Right. Yeah. 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 So I mean it, it is really cool to have this patent and everything but you know, um, I feel like um, 
unless I take this project forward and really show the world, I guess, or show somebody mm -hmm. that um, it can make a difference, it might just sit out there. I mean, there are all kinds of patents that, that are just sitting there and no one is using them. It's okay. It's cool for like the inventor or whatever, but they're, they're not really making a difference. Mm -hmm. So I took the leap this year and I purchased that machine invested my own funds into the machine. This wasn't a grant. It wasn't the university. It's, it's my own skin on the line here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I am in, uh, I was getting ready when the coronavirus hit to kind of launch a see, buy, receive business model where I, w I was going to have the collection that we had developed in a fashion show at the Angard Arts Hotel here in St. Louis, um, sponsored by the factory um, organization. Uh, and uh, I was really looking forward to seeing how things would be going and hoping that by now I would be in full swing. But, <laughs> you know, everything got canceled. So um, I do have my machine set up and I'm a little slower on the uptake at exactly what my next step will be but I'm, I'm gonna do it <laughs> yeah yeah and I mean yeah it's it's a bummer that things had to be canceled but I I do think I I've been seeing even during this pandemic people are spending more time at home and almost kind of going back to that you know great depression mindset in terms of like what do I have at home that I can use or reuse because yeah. I don't want to have to go out to the store to get one thing so like how can I be inventive with what I have or cleaning out their closet and realizing do I really need this much clothing mm -hmm. and then now what do I do with it like now I've got garbage bags of clothing that I don't want and I don't really want to throw it away and so I mean I think that maybe you know kind of the upside of it is that people are more aware and, and maybe more passionate about reusing and being sustainable with their textiles and clothing um, that may feed into your, your mission and process in that. I think so. I think so. I think you're right. And actually for me, I had like the collection that we have is what, I don't know, I, 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 I think it's very comfortable and I have some pants that I can wear in summer or, or fall or even wintertime and there's kind of seem to be all season. And I really want to kind of go more for uh, garments that are going to feel good and be kind of basics that you could uh, go to um, at any time rather than like the seasonal fashion calendar where you have to have the latest thing for, you know, um, that is not comfortable to wear at any other time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've learned too to kind of maybe more focus on that softness, I know in the trends, everything is all about knitwear and softness. And I was even thinking about making some real big, soft, beautiful pillows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like when you're sitting on your couch, you, you, you want to have something beautiful to be leaning against too while you're zooming. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. And it's like uh, the artwork of, of like the, your Zoom stage. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it is uh, sparking my mind for new product categories and things like that. Nice. So you mentioned a little bit how the design process for the reclaim process, it works a little bit differently than cut and sew because you're kind of designing the whole garment 
at once. So can you kind of describe how that differs from kind of a traditional design process and what what kind of have you learned from um, and new challenges have you either overcome or opportunities that you've seen from designing in this new way? Wow, what a great question. Um, I, um, and I wish that, you know, we had a visual for our podcast. Mm -hmm. well, I can put <laughs> some, I can put some photos in yeah. the show notes so at least people can see what your textiles look like. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, I, I'm going to do my best to describe it verbally. Uh, what, um, some of just to kind of walk you through some of the things that, that we have done in that, um, you know, so you get maybe a pile of t-shirts and uh, we kind of focused, I don't know exactly for what reason, but on making them into about half inch strips. Okay. And so um, one of the designers, her name is Lene Dowda, and uh, she decided to do a, a um, ombre going from dark blue to light blue to white and having the ombre be in the center of the garment, then kind of uh, grading out uh, to lighter colors to the sides. And then she really wanted to have an open lattice work at the waist and on the shoulders. And normally with um, a non, or with the normal design process, you would put a seam at the waist and then a seam under the bodice and put in a separate type of fabric that had that lattice work in it, right? Because mm -hmm. you're changing up the fabric. But what she was able to do with the reclaim process is she actually engineered the lattice work in the way she laid out the, the material. So you get a, a change in detail of the fabric without having to cut and sew another piece into it. Okay, so almost like fully fashioned knitwear where you're creating the panels and the textures. Yes. Like yes, seamlessly. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the, the, the parallel. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'll use that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then another thing that um, is interesting is that, you know, when you're laying out normal, um, a pattern onto a fabric, you have the grain line that is very specifically engineered into the garment because you want it to lay a certain way. So that, that restricts how you can put the pattern onto the fabric and sometimes that creates waste, right? Because you would mm -hmm. like to angle it a little bit, but you can't angle it because you have to respect the grain line. Well, with our system, you engineer the grain line in. So you, it doesn't matter what the position of it is onto um, uh, the, the garment because you can lay the strips with the grain however you want them to be. So that kind of creates some interesting um, potential for experimentation. I haven't done any experiments that way yet. Um, but, um, you know, to be able to get maybe in the same garment without, once again, kind of like the, the fully fashioned um, or the, the 3D knitting, where you can have, um, say, a godet that is on a completely different grain than mm -hmm. the main part of the body, but without seams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, because it is a totally different way of working of how it's it's almost more possibilities of how to how to engineer the garment then because you can mix it up and you don't have to worry about 
because when I'm I'm doing patterns and trying to figure out the you know the most efficient way to lay it on fabric, I was like, okay, can I move the seam slightly to, or do we need to add a seam to make it more efficient? Or you know, if we just want a tiny lattice detail, that means sourcing a whole new fabric, and can we meet the minimums? And so yeah. there's all those constraints that it sounds like aren't really an issue with um, your process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also. Um, you can oftentimes, depending on the shape and kind of what you want, really eliminate some of the seaming. And, and it's kind of hard to think that way sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it's like I, I, me particularly, I'm like trained for so many years in, in respecting grain lines and thinking this has to be here and that has to be there, but you can really um, expand the, the way that the layout is um, because you can, break some rules that we otherwise weren't able to break. Yeah. So do each of the pieces kind of on a technical, I am just thinking through this technically, how we, how do you do that? Um, so like things like a fisheye dart, like on a sheath dress or something, like, are you able to kind of 3d sculpt the pieces? So each panel is not like a flat panel. You know, theoretically that should be possible, but I haven't been able to do that yet. I, 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 okay. I, totally am with you on it but the um the process that i use right now for stitching is a flat process okay so i uh it would be really cool though to um and i have all kinds of future plans you know i actually would am working with some engineering students or i have the past few years you know in the engineering department they have a senior thesis mm -hmm. and um, I got to know the professor there through a student, and he um, put my my project needs out to his students a couple years in a row. And and they have there's been a group that's um, kind of taken on my challenge because I have two major challenges for high level you know industrialization of this. One is the cutting process of the shirts themselves mm -hmm. because. Um, I do use, you know, an industrial cutting uh, machine tool with a, like a five inch circular blade. Mm -hmm. So I stack them up. But if you slice them across, then you have circles, right? You mm -hmm. have two. Mm -hmm. And um, those you have to open up and then you have a, 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 a just strips at a specific length. So then I figured out the, um, it's, you can Google it, it's um, uh, making a t-shirt yarn. And what you do is you cut, cut it to about an inch from the edge, and then you cut at a diagonal and it makes one yon, long yarn out of the t-shirt. Kind of like spiraling the skin off an yeah. apple. That's what I'm exactly. imagining. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I'm able to like stack them up five inches tall and cut them all together, which is maybe about 30 t-shirts at one time, cut them all together to that inch away from the edge. But I, ha I have to manually open and cut that diagonal line because I just haven't figured out an automated process for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so one year, the students from WashU took on the challenge of cutting, and then last year, the students took on the challenge of helping me lay these strips down, because right now, I take a, a, a spray adhesive and um, then take just by hand and lay the strips one by one, and um, I have this vision of, well, like an intermediary, what they kind of worked on was kind of like a, uh, you know, a, a 
box tape, how you have the dispenser to lay out the tape on a box, to figure out something similar to that where the 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 t-shirt the is rolled up in a yarn and then the adhesive is sprayed out in front of it and you pull that down and, and you lay it down on the fabric. Or my real dream is to um, find a way to uh, work with a system like a Gerber sample cutter, you know, mm -hmm. that one layer with the uh, suction bed that pulls mm -hmm. the fabric down to it. Um, and the head right now, you know, it, it can either cut with different blades or it can um, draw with a pencil and you, you make your pattern virtually and you never really see a physical pattern until the fabric is cut. And so what I would love to do is figure out a software that you design your garment on the software with the strips and everything, how you would like to have it. And then it's programmed into a laying machine that would automatically lay it down and have that all done. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that would be really, that'd be really cool to get that um, more automated like that. So what do you see as kind of a broader, I want to back up a little bit and just ask, um, how do you define sustainability? Because um, I know kind of everybody has a slightly different like focus or definition of it. So I'm curious what yours is. You know, it's such a, like you said, it's such a broad term and used so much that it's all, almost like shouldn't be used because it's almost come to have no meaning because it has so many meanings. Mm -hmm. So like the broad definition for me of sustainability is doing systems and processes that um, maintain our lifestyle for now and, and for generations in the future. So for fashion sustainability, sustainability in the fashion apparel and textile industry, I feel like there is the idea of sustaining people. So, you know, um, social justice, social wages, living wages, um, uh, respective to the economy and where the, the, the people live, um, uh, protecting people from bad chemicals and bad working conditions and, and things like that. So the people side of uh, preserving life for future generations. Mm -hmm. And there is the um, kind of like the process side. So not, um, not using bad chemicals uh, to produce your, your, your garments, not using too much energy, not having too big of a carbon footprint, not having um, uh, materials that um, never biodegrade and stay around forever and having things, making things that are disposable on purpose kind of a thing or, or mm -hmm. that, that dispose and then are never used. So kind of like the material side. And then there's the post con I guess the, the consumer slash post-consumer side where, you know, what do we do with our clothes? How do we, you know, how do we launder them? How do we uh, care for them? And at what point do we disengage ourselves from clothing? And then what happens to that clothing after it leaves the, um, you know, our hands? Um, I uh, recently, and I, I'm kind like, I've, I've been, kind of academically, seriously interested in this uh, sustainability uh, space since about uh, 2011. Um, okay. And um, I, uh, I'm kind of embarrassed that just recently I learned about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, I was at, uh, I was able to travel to a sustainability conference in London last summer and hear Sass Brown and uh, um, uh, 
Oh, Amy Fletcher, what is her name? Kate Fletcher. Kate Fletcher, I got to meet her and uh, some of the like big heavy hitting um, leaders in the sustainability world. And then from there, I went to South Africa where I gave some presentations to some uh, universities about my sustainability work. And I was able to visit, uh, to tour a plastic recycling uh, factory by uh, uh, this uh, wonderful, knowledgeable man about sustainability. And he um, opened my eyes to the fact that 80%, up to 80% of the recyclability of a product or the sustainability, if you will, of a product, I think sustainability is better than recyclability. So up to 80% of the sustainability of a product can be decided at the design stage. So actually design is really important in the, um, cause you know, we're choosing materials, we're choosing materials that require specific processes. We are, mm -hmm. uh, uh, inspiring consumer behavior. We are inspiring, you know, um, even, uh, what happens to the garment after it's no longer useful to the consumer that can all be impacted at the design stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, I hadn't thought about how, um, I mean, I obviously think about, you know, material choices and the longevity of the garment and, you know, its effectiveness towards the consumer in terms of like, are they going to wear it, you know, like yeah. enough to wear it instead of just a one use. But yeah, that's so true that as designers, that's really the stage that has the most impact. Um, it's not necessarily the consumer of are they recycling it or are they throwing it in the trash when they're done because even if everyone's recycling like if it wasn't designed to make it like a smooth process to to remake that material right or to biodegrade or to you know become useful in some other way that's why i was uh, this eileen Mc uh, MacArthur Foundation has a whole section on their website. You might put that in your show notes too about the yeah. fashion design industry and 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 sustainability, and the the big. I think the big push. You know, the terminology for a long time was cradle to cradle, and it was um, McDonough and Baumgartner who wrote this great book called Cradle to Cradle, where you think it w in the design process about from when it's a baby all the way to back, you know, staying mm -hmm. in the youth cycle. So it never, never becomes old and uh, is discarded. And now they, they talk about the circular economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard and that term. Yeah. It's kind of that same idea where the, the product stays in the use cycle and it's circular. So it never gets outside of the circle. So it doesn't destroy the environment by, you know, being, just discarded. Mm -hmm. So what, so with the reclaim process, um, you mentioned you were using t-shirts or is there a particular fiber that that works with or um, like, can you use woven garments for that? Like, is there, is, a is there a restraint on the type of fiber or type of textile that can be remade in that way? That's a really good question. We, we have worked with all sorts of different fibers. Um, we have worked with denim. It works great with denim. Uh, one of the things about denim is though that, uh, and, and woven fabrics is the, um, you know, there's the, the fraying. Mm -hmm. um, so we did one uh, piece that was uh, on the grain and it, 
and then because you wash it after you uh, stitch it to um, get the biodegradable material off and create the fabric. And it created this really gorgeous like tangle of frayed edges, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, then we did another sample of it with the denim on the bias and that was less tangled and frayed. Okay. Uh, um, you know, and then I also uh, in uh, had gotten some, you know, because we just put uh, boxes out to have people donate stuff. So they did donate polyesters and, and things like that. And we did work with poly some wovens. And um, uh, one of the things that I worry about that I have to figure out, you know, another thing I need to figure out is how to kind of seal the fabric once it's been made so it doesn't continue to disengage those microfibers into the mm. environment mm. of washing if it's a synthetic, if it's a polyester. Um, and I, I, I have some finishes that I've been testing and things, but I, I haven't like come up with like the ideal situation on that. Um, but really the, the, the fabrics or the fibers, the, the materials that you use uh, can be anything. Okay. Even if you're using a garment that's polyester now, that's giving it a longer life than it would have had. And then hopefully in the future, you, the industry moves in general more towards, um, you know, recyclable or biodegradable fibers. And then, you know, we wouldn't have as much leftover polyester waste anyway. Yeah. Or, and, and, you know, this is something that I didn't think about enough when I did my first collection and I'm going to really be focusing on, on the next apparel collection, especially is, um, transformability of a garment because they, you know, the research shows that the more you can, um, interact personally with your clothing, the more likely you are to keep it longer. So if you have, I mean, I'm sure you've seen those pants that you can like unzip or unsnap or something, the mm -hmm. bottom to become a pair of shorts or, um, you know, um, I had a grad student, uh, a few years ago do a lovely collection where she used upcycled denim and, uh, put eyelets in everything so that you could lace the, the, the top to the skirt and have a dress, or you could just wear the skirt or you could just wear the top or, you know, just oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, all sorts of transformable aspects of the clothing so that, um, you know, you, you are, less likely to just toss it because you're you can't find a use for it anymore yeah so that that makes me think i'm going to ask you this kind of what are your thoughts on um kind of the industry in general and the direction it's heading both on the manufacturing side in terms of adopting more sustainable practices um but also on the design side, like you said, with like the function of being able to wear garments in multiple ways or multiple seasons, um, or even, um, you know, to adjust to changes in body weight or, um, and that, like, do you think, you know, which one do you think affects the other? Is it like market driven or is it more, we need to be more sustainable and that's going to change our taste somewhat? Um, I'm curious kind of what you see as the future of of that both on both of those sides okay so um another fantastic question i'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation oh, good <laughs> um, on the industry side what's on my radar right now is the transformation that's going to happen in the supply chain with digital technologies 
I really do believe that um, we are at a point where, uh, for a number of reasons, making uh, patterns in a CAD system and then uh, doing a virtual try-on of those patterns in uh, with an avatar. At mm -hmm. We use Gerber and then we use Browseware. And um, up until now, there's, and, and I'm not saying it's a perfect uh, virtual re realization system, but it's getting so much better that I see within the next five years or so, there being a real shift. Um, you know, uh, uh, as you know, as a, as a designer and a pattern maker, um, the physics of the fabric is the hardest thing to render digitally. Yes, yep. <laughs> yeah, because I've worked a little bit um, in Optitex 3D, um, you know, similar to how, you know, Gerber works and be able to render on an avatar. And it's very helpful for finalizing the design details, um, kind of, you know, how long do you want it? How low do you want the neckline? How fitted? Um, and then print placement and scale is, is very helpful to visualize. But so far I've found at some point, you need to switch to making it in the actual fabric to do a production test and to see how it wears on like a moving body, like get the feedback or how easy it is to get on, you know, yeah. things yeah. like that where I don't think we're quite there yet on the 3D, but yeah, there's definitely been leaps and bounds in the last few years of it's so much more accurate and better that you're able to cut down the number of actual samples you exactly. need. And that is so, so much more sustainable. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the number of samples and the amount of time and, and materials and carbon footprint that, that the sampling process takes up is, is significant. I don't think people real, I know that the man on this, like I, there's no reason that the man on the street would um, understand the complexity of it, but I think even a mm -hmm. lot of it, people don't get how much is in that that uh, pre-production process. And um, I uh, am very excited that Browseware has a um, machine that is reasonably priced. I mean, it's not cheap; it's like eight thousand dollars, but. Um, <laughs> that uh, can't that takes any fabric and puts in the uh, physics or gives you the numbers for the physics so you can put it into the program and you can um, uh, have a, a even closer uh, representation of your individual fabric on the screen so I feel like nice. they're getting much closer so I, I'm I'm really hopeful that um, that will not only speed up the process, but it'll also be much more sustainable. Um, and it'll enable a new, how do I want to say, a new crop of designers that mm -hmm. hopefully we're, we're, we're on the process of uh, uh, training or producing at WashU that will understand how to engage this um, digital technology, understand the limitations, like you were saying, but be able to take advantage of it to the maximal point and then once you go into your physical prototype that you're tr testing for like you said trying it on and walking around in it sitting down in it and feeling how the fabric feels on the skin and things that will be a much more efficient process so i feel like that will also enable more local production because i think another supply chain interest is this idea of producing locally mm -hmm. yeah i'm um, looking forward to that <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, but I think even the local production is going to have to be rather digital, rather high tech, like the our friends at Evolution St. Louis that are um, making garments out of knits that are 3D and you code lines of um, uh, like every single line of the knit to be exactly what you want it to be. So this this hybrid employee is a bit of a computer programmer and a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. So how do you think with, with all those changes that you see, how are um, designers both working for you know larger brands, but maybe independent designers as well, where they're the the owner and designer of their company? How? Is that going to change kind of the skills that they need and just the things that they need to be thinking about in their in their job roles in order to meet that demand and that in kind of new way of working? Well, I think one thing that we need to um, cultivate is not how do I want to say the skills to work even more at a higher level with each other. Because um, I, I think it's a lot to ask of any one individual to have all of these skills in their, in their toolbox at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe if, if you are a creative designer and you're designing, you know, silhouettes and choosing fabrics and inspiration and making relevant clothing that that is um, uh, very interesting to the consumer and to to the world at large and and doing all of that um, that you know how to communicate with that technical programming designer to get your vision translated into um, a 3d gar- you know a, a physical garment mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, it, it requires knowing about other professions enough to be able to work with them. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I worry and I get overwhelmed too, thinking, oh, I need to learn all this stuff. How am I going to, you know, do it all? And I, I think that's something we each need to find our sweet spot of how much we need to know to work with other people and then how much we need to actually be able to do ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I mean, even in the industry now, we have designers and technical designers and pattern makers and product developers, which can all be the same person in a very small company, but are often, like you know, different departments in larger yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there is a crossover for sure. But I think, you know, even, a, even if you're just doing um, a designer role, like you said, you do need to understand enough about the other things to at least be aware of the constraints or what, and you know, I, I don't know, maybe just me as more of a technical um, designer. Um, I, I think of it this way, but I almost enjoy and am more creative when I understand the constraints um, yes. because then it like opens up new possibilities and kind of filters, you know, you have so many ideas, it's hard to narrow down. And so by having some sort of, constraint or like what would work best for this production process or to reuse this fabric or something like that makes me more creative. And I think um, for designers too, um, understanding some of those other things that impact their designs farther down in the process can help them be better designers. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of academic nerdism in here. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. 
because the kind of creativity that you just described is called convergent creativity, where you have a bunch of givens, and then with those given restrictions, you have to create, be creative um, in your thinking to to end up solving the problem or end up creating the 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 outcome. as, and the contrary or the other end of that, I would say, not necessarily contrary, but another end of that is divergent thinking where there are no limits and there's no, you know, no restrictions at all. And I think in, in general, people think that creativity is only that no restrictions part. Uh-huh. There's actually a lot of creativity that goes into the restricted side where you have to, you know, like you said, understand the uh, uh, necessary steps you have to go through for industrial production and sourcing and, and, and all of that kind of stuff that, that should impact the most efficient and, and effective uh, design process, I think. Yeah, yeah. And even that ties into what you are saying earlier about how designers have the most impact over whether the product can be sustainable in its life mm-hmm. is like by understanding what the impacts of the material or or their design are down the road in the life of the product like that gives them you know whole new possibilities of how they can be creative in that and how they design the product in the first place yes exactly exactly and then the other part of your question it remind me if i remember it correctly you had asked me how um like you asked me about like the supply chain and the um like the manufacturing side and then the the other part was the designers and the mm-hmm. or the the companies and i i think we're already seeing in part because of you know the coronavirus and all of the economic struggles because of that um, but this was happening before all of this hit. Um, mm-hmm. In the summer of 18, I went to Europe uh, with uh, organized a trip for fashion professionals to kind of, we called it looking at the soul of fashion. And we interviewed and were able to visit studios of designers in Antwerp and in Paris. And um, there, uh, Jan Jan Van Asch is one of the designers we visited who is he's very successful. He, sh- he sells in Dover street market and, you know, um, goes to the Paris shows and everything. And he was, his whole perspective was to have a, like a base collection, a standard collection, and then come out with, if you will, uh, drops or special editions when he felt ready. He didn't, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't, um, like conform to the, like uh, fashion calendars and it was like when his creative process feels uh, strong enough and and everything to to do something significant that would enhance the the client's wardrobe mm-hmm. you know, building on his prior work so it didn't have to mean that the prior work was to throw away but that so if you had pieces in his of his pieces in your wardrobe then you wanted to get this other thing to enhance that whole look and i feel like um, uh, we're going to be shifting from a fashion model where it's all like about change and and difference to where it's more about expressing yourself and who and your your priorities of of a garment so it's kind of more even more so um i hate to use the word customer because i feel like that's kind of a I don't know, almost like a 70s uh, uh, cold term. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like maybe, I don't know, the user or the the, the person who, who wears the clothes is really going to be so much 
more of a driver of uh, wanting things that are for self-expression rather than expressing what something that's imposed upon them. Yeah, that's a good point of, yeah, just how the change in how we view fashion too um, and our clothing. Because I think you're right of, like I'm always trying to figure out how do I dress for my lifestyle, Mm -hmm. which I'm kind of excited to see what kind of clothing design is going to come out of this year because I feel like more people are living my lifestyle right now where I work from home primarily and you know I may run errands in the middle of the day when it's not crowded places and then I may have a client meeting and then I may go to a fashion event in the evening and so like what do I wear for that lifestyle Um, and how do I express you know my own creativity and just like what I like to wear and how I want to express myself we're also being professional and comfortable and functional and so that I think is a more kind of having that multi-purpose but very creative where the wearer can kind of mold the fashion and use it in in their life and and kind of add to it in an expressive way I think it's going to be really interesting to see going forward. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think, I mean, I think at some level, it's going to take a, and, and I struggle with this all the time in the teaching environment, because I'm teaching the students to function as uh, successful professor, professionals once they graduate, mm-hmm. but also to be kind of like change agents and to be ready for this new paradigm that is in already existing in some companies. And i think it's going to be stronger as we go forward um, because um, you know some companies are just going to keep doing what they doing what they do as they do it you know like last night we were or not last night the other night in the fashion group international think tank discussion you know we were discussing about how some companies like Chanel are always going to be doing their six seasons and and you know having that uh, rhythm so I think we're mm-hmm. going to have flexible and just kind of learn how to know when one works and one is you know when to kind of push for the change Mm -hmm. yeah it's always a balance and this year I think it's been a lot more change than maybe in past years like what was already in the works is moving forward quicker um, which is good in many ways but definitely overwhelming and in you know hard to change that fast especially for companies that have been doing the same thing for decades. So how does your research in, and your work in all this affect kind of your personal view of fashion and your lifestyle and design process? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but I'm curious to hear. Yeah, I kind of struggle sometimes with being overwhelmed because I really, you know, I you, like you, in some ways you become obsessive. I'm like, okay, I, I want everything from the yarn to the, the, the thread, to the zippers, to, you know, everything to be, you know, biodegradable. But is that actually possible? Mm-hmm. Really, you know, and, and how, can, how can I negotiate that, that balance and be okay with myself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? um, one of the things that... Um, uh, with some colleagues, we did this project we called the Fashion Detox, and we asked our students to give up consuming fashion products, buying anything new for 10 weeks, and they blogged about it. And um, 
you know, we as, as faculty, you know, kind of did it at the same. And I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, a secondhand clothing person. I love secondhand clothes. I feel, Same here. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's just so much pleasure in getting something that is beautifully made and and at a very reasonable price that you can feel good in. I, I just... I And you I, know it washes well. Yes. It's held it, up this long. It's held up, yeah. Oh my gosh, I have this dress from the 60s that... Um, has still it's black and white, but the black is so vibrant. Uh, I call it my bulletproof polyester because it, it it it's gonna last forever, and I love it. And I've been wearing it for the past fifteen years, and I always get a compliment on it. So it's like a, nice. a classic style too. Mm -hmm. So in in my own work, I strive to kind of get to that point where I can make things that are classic and comfortable. And, um, uh, and, and that's what I look for in my own clothing too. Although I'm also very tempted by, you know, labels and, and by, uh, things that are beautiful and cool, even though they're not so comfortable, mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to just feel that, that thrill of wearing it. Um, so, um, I guess maybe my answer to your question about myself is that I'm all over the board. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's a balance too, because, you know, I think the important thing is, like you said, to be mindful of how you're consuming fashion and how you're caring for it and how you're creating it and designing it. But you're right. It's not always possible to be a hundred percent like zero waste living, you know, um, 100% sustainable with every little component, but I think it's more thinking about the impact as a whole that we have in our choices um, yeah. is yeah. the important thing. Your, your word is very well taken, that mindfulness, kind of like, why am I buying this? What am I going to do with mm -hmm. it? How does it fit in with what, I'm, what I've already got? And, you know, um, one time, I uh, overheard one of my colleagues teaching a like consumer behavior class or something talking about if you think about you buy something for a hundred dollars and you wear it once then that one wear cost you a hundred dollars but if you wear it a thousand times mm -hmm. then it'll cost you one penny per <laughs> mm -hmm. so, I don't know if my math was right there but <laughs> that that idea of uh, even from um, a value monetary value standpoint to really try to look for things that are going to be more useful yeah yeah so true so my last question is if you could communicate one value to the world through your clothes what would it be and it could be either clothes you wear or clothes you design one value um what do you mean by value like i've had some people answer um they want people to value fairness in like the manufacturing or value um, confidence in their own um, body image or that they want people to value um, the environment it, with the clothes that they wear and design. Oh, I got it. Like, what do you value that you want your clothes to reflect? So I, I, I think I have it now. Thank you for those mm -hmm. tips. Because um, I was thinking of emotions when you when you asked me the question at first, all the words that came into my mind were emotions and not values. So I think I would like for people to value the item. I want they to, them to to value and treasure the piece. 
for whatever reason, whether it represents um, something meaningful to their lives or whether they respect the, 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 the time and the craftsmanship that went into it, or I don't really, I don't really think I can dictate the reason, but I want them to see this item as something of value. Because I think a lot of times people don't really consider the value of clothing. Yeah, I love that answer. It's like we want you want people to treasure and um, appreciate yeah. the clothes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. Um, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks for joining me. Where can people find more about you and your work online? Um, let's see. Let's go ahead and uh, have have everyone go to my profile at WashU. Okay. And I will link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mary. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Allison. This was a great conversation. Your questions were probing and thought-provoking. And it also, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of fun to be able to express yourself about ideas. And yeah. Uh, just do this more often over a coffee or something. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.